This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. La revolución mexicana en la música, viejo, tiene nombre y se llama Peso Pluma. Viejo, quiero cantarles un corrido del álbum de Génesis. Esto se llama el Rubicón. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. And I'm Ana Maria Sayer. Let the chisme begin. Peso Pluma doesn't look like a revolutionary. He's 24 years old, scrawny, kind of unassuming. But here he is, standing in front of a roaring crowd of thousands of Latinos braving a torrential rainstorm in the capital of country music, Nashville, Tennessee. Standing there in that crowd in Nashville, the idea that he was the image of a revolution, it felt very real. With his U.S. TV debut performing the number one Latin song in the country. As real as it did when Peso Pluma popped up on my TV screen this past June. Give it up for Peso Pluma! Performing his hit, Ella Baila Sola, on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. This song was instantly all over social media, on TikTok. I want to say, watching Latinos do those things, like perform at Tonight Show, Late Show, makes me so proud. Fans everywhere paid homage, doing their own covers of the song in all different styles. And I never thought I'd say this, but there was even a kids' bop cover of Ella Baila Sola. I heard Peso Pluma say it on that stormy night in Nashville. Musica Mexicana, or regional Mexican music, isn't just a movement. It is a revolution. We've been talking about the rise of Mexican regional music for a while now. And not just Peso Pluma. We've talked about it, we've discussed it, we've checked out the chisme around it. So we're going to spend the next three episodes of Alt Latino trying to answer the question we've been asking ourselves. Why this music and why now? Why is it dominating the music charts and why are people everywhere, from Nashville to Puerto Rico, listening to this updated form of Mexican folk music? We're trying to understand how a new generation of Mexican and Mexican-American kids are coming of age through the music of past generations, embracing music of the 19th century in the 21st century. Okay, Anna, I want to take you a few decades back to my earliest memories of this music. 
I used to hear it on the radio every morning, on Spanish-language radio stations in Sacramento, California, where I grew up. This Mexican music, or what we called Mexican music, lots of mariachis and tons of conjuntos with accordions. This is around 1968, 1969, when I was about 10 years old. We'd be listening to Mexican music while my mom cooked breakfast for my dad, and then my brothers and I would get up and get ready for school. Regional Mexican music, or musica mexicana, or musica regional, you might hear it referred to by all of these names, has been around since the late 1800s. And for decades, it was just that, regional. Then came La Época de Oro, the golden era of Mexican cinema and music in the 1940s and 50s. And we're talking the greats, los mero mero, singers like Pedro Infante. Pasaste a mi lado. And Jorge Negrete. Yo soy mexicano. They were international stars. They introduced mariachi and ranchera songs, those deeply emotional lyrics backed by the traditional mariachi folk ensemble, to a worldwide audience. In the late 1950s, on this side of the border, Richie Valens, a young Chicano from Pacoima, California, reinvented a Mexican son jarocho classic called La Bamba. And three decades later, another young Chicana, Selena Quintanilla, electrified Mexican cumbia, again placing regional music in front of a much larger audience. Before we keep going, I think we should clarify that the term regional Mexican music is a giant umbrella term, and it's made up of many different styles. It's also important to note that while Musica Mexicana has been in a global spotlight many times in the past, it's still a genre that has been looked down upon because it's rural Mexican music, folk music, Musica del Pueblo, music of the people. Artists like Selena and Richie went big by reinterpreting different styles of regional Mexican music. But today's artists are sticking with traditional regional music and making that exciting, drawing young listeners in on both sides of the border. So it's really amazing to see younger artists like Yaritza and Suesentia, a Mexican-American sibling trio from Yakima, Washington, performing sireños with their emotional ballads. There's also Natanael Cano, who's dubbed as the originator of Corridos Tumbados. And Danny Lux, who is doing a popular sireño thing. They all reclaim the music and make it proudly. Fue 
Now, there's always more names to include, but I also want to mention Grupo Frontera and Fuerza Regida, who are all doing their own thing. And of course, there's Peso Pluma, who we've obviously already mentioned. He's kind of the face of this movement. I don't want to be cliche about it, Felix, but he's so defiant. <laughs> like, he's defiant in what he produces, in what he puts out, in his messaging, in his sound. So, Felix, you and I are both mega fans. Uh, okay, mega fans, uh, that's a stretch, but go ahead, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> and we wanted to find our people. We decided we needed to go catch Peso Pluma on his first U.S. tour. So we headed to Nashville. But why that city? Well, Nashville became the capital of country music almost 100 years ago when a radio program called the Grand Ole Opry started broadcasting from Nashville throughout the region. Yes, it's the Grand Ole Opry. Starting on a network of stations that reaches all the way from the Mexican border to the mountains of Virginia. Felix, I know Nashville matters for country music, but regional? I mean, how many Mexicans are in Nashville listening to regional Mexican music? And... Peso Pluma wasn't just hitting Nashville. More than Nashville, Felix. Indiana, Georgia, Arkansas. Peso Pluma's tour dates were like a roadmap of where Latino immigrants are becoming part of the social fabric of the U.S. Midwest and South. We wanted to meet the community that is welcoming Peso Pluma to Nashville. People connecting with Mexico through the music. Would meeting Peso Pluma's Nashville superfans help explain the magnitude of this explosion? Were they the reason our music is topping the charts? When we got to Nashville, everyone told us we had to go check out a place called Plaza Mariachi. And how could you go wrong with a place called Plaza Mariachi if we're looking for Mexican music, right? You have a stage with a man's solo trumpet performing to all kinds of backing instrumentals of the classics. It's a market, there's a grocery store, there's all these vendedores selling like quince dresses and jewelry and all these things, but it's really more community center than anything. When you walk in the doors, you hopefully feel like you've been transported into like a little Mexican pueblo. Um, my name is Diane John Bash, and I'm owner of Plaza Mariachi and also executive director for the Hispanic Family Foundation. We met Diane at the plaza on a Friday afternoon when the place wasn't quite bustling yet. But there were quite a few tables set up, so it looked like they were prepping for a very busy evening. And when she told me that this giant building used to be a grocery store, it made so much more sense to me. This is my neighborhood Kroger, and we're sitting where the back freezers and the holding refrigerators were. And this property was actually sitting vacant for quite a while. So when it became available, you know, we jumped on it. The rebirth of a grocery store as a cultural center is appropriate when you consider that the waves of immigrants from Latin America are remaking many parts of the Midwest and the south of the U.S. 
Diane told me that their Fiesta Patrias event for Mexico's independence in September usually gets anywhere from 17 to 20,000 people inside the center as well as outside in the parking lot. Are you sure it's 17,000? Yeah. Yeah. It's 17,000 people in your local Safeway, Felix. I'm trying to imagine that in my local grocery store. There's no way. Wow. <laughs> but she told me that this celebration of Latinidad and Mexicanness wasn't always like this. I ended up here because my mother, who is a Mexican, and my father, who is Irish-American, they ended up moving to Nashville in 1985 when we moved here. We were probably one of maybe 50 Hispanic or mixed Hispanic families in Nashville. That was it. Anytime we ran into someone that spoke Spanish, we lost our minds. We were like, oh my gosh, where are you from? You know, we would speak in Spanish, like it was crazy. Diane said she felt like she stood out in school because she was Mexican. She was extremely aware of it, and even if she wasn't, the other kids were. Some people get bullied, and, you know, they can, they can take things negatively. But what I did is just taking pride in, in who I was. And I was always going to make a point to be proud of my heritage and expose people to it as much as I could. And if they weren't cool with it, well, they weren't. One day, when she was in seventh grade. I sang a mariachi song at the talent show um, with um, a family friend who played guitar. I sang a song called Los Laureles. Okay, this is Linda Rodstadt's version, but we're assuming Teenage Diane sounded just like this. And it went really well. I, I was happy with it. <laughs> but the kids were like, what is she doing? Like, what is this? They'd never heard it before. So, yeah. And then, of course, you know, once we built this place, I, I wanted to make sure that we included the music, the food, the art, the culture, you know, everything that we could possibly throw into an experience for people that would make them maybe not be so hesitant or afraid to either travel or experience a Latin American country or interact with people that maybe didn't look like them or speak like them. As an adult, Diane is trying to make her community more welcoming for immigrants who continue to arrive in cities like Nashville. In fact... According to stats from both the U.S. Census and the Nashville Chamber of Commerce from 2022, the overall Latino population of Nashville is just above 10%. But the population of school-age children is roughly 29%. The census also predicts that by 2040, Latinos will be the largest minority group in central Tennessee, making it a community that has the potential to shape the way Nashville continues to change. So that means a lot of Hispanic music. And we've seen that with the concerts that we've hosted here. I feel so excited. Uh, maybe I'm too emotional, but <laughs> I fall in love with this music. Victor Leonel Esparza is a band leader in Nashville. 
He started out playing guitar in restaurants and singing boleros by himself, but he soon fell under the spell of regional Mexican music. Everything changed. Everything changed because the people react more uh, excited with the music. Not only the Mexican community, but uh, El Salvador, Honduras, Colombia, and, and other communities, they enjoy it this kind of music, and that didn't happen with my guitar. So he formed Arrasadora Banda Tenaz, one of the many local bands that play in Plaza Mariachi, finding musicians among his fellow Mexican immigrants. I knew someone, and he told me he played timbales. That's very particular instrument for a brass band, the Sinaloa-style uh, brass band. And then I asked him, do you know anyone? Uh, that play wind instruments, trumpet, trombones, uh, clarinets and stuff. And he said, yeah, I know the whole band. Wow, really? I I'm a singer, so let's do something. Yeah. Leonel told me their mission is to bring a little bit of Mexico to Nashville. And I just kept thinking that it was so cool to be in a place in the south of the United States that could easily be a small town in Mexico. I think it's important for a place like Plaza Mariachi to exist, not just in Nashville, but anywhere in the United States where the Mexican population is increasing. It reflects the positive impact that the community is having, and it's right there in the music. But Felix, we flew all the way to Nashville, and we still hadn't met them yet. Who? Peso Pluma? No! The super fans! <laughs> the people taking this music to the top of the charts. I wanted to see some real Peso Pluma love. That's coming up after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit bluehost.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Visit Myrtle Beach. Sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline, Myrtle Beach was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Combine that with the aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low-country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Warby Parker. Their glasses start at $95, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Try five pairs of frames at home for free. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered. And we're back. That's tonight. I feel like this is the vibe for tonight. Wearing, wearing my jeans, my bubble jeans. The next day, Saturday, was Peso Pluma Day. And then I'll probably wear a hat. Seriously? Oh my god, wait, can I see it? I, if I can find it. Let me see. I'm gonna go below this. That's the Ana Medina. 
Like everybody in Tennessee, you have to have a guitar in your closet. Like everybody in Tennessee. Yeah. No, it's not here. Okay. Oh, I don't know where it is. She's 22 years old and Nashville-born, though she spent some of her childhood in Mexico before coming to the southern U.S. at 12 years old. Felix and I met up with Diana and her family in their home just outside of Nashville a couple of hours before the show. I have to straighten my hair and curl it a little bit. While Felix is hanging with her dad and uncle downstairs, Diana and I are seated on her childhood bed trying to wrangle her red-streaked hair into cooperating for the Peso Pluma show tonight. She told me the music helped pave her way into a life as an American teenager. I was trying to learn English, so I was trying to listen to music in English. It was like High Seconds in Summer, One Direction, like the Coldplay, all of those bands to listen to the lyrics and like also see them. So like I was always on YouTube reading lyrics. How did you feel about being Mexican when you got here? Um, I didn't really feel that Mexican because when I was in, in Mexico, like everybody in school knew that I was born in the United States. So they, like, they would call me gringa or whatever. And I'm like, well, I don't look like a gringa, but whatever. And when I came here, it's like, nobody's going to call me gringa because look at me. I don't look like a gringa. So I think it's, like, something that I've always felt in my life that, like, out of place. Yeah. So I honestly was no different when I moved here. So you can carry on. I feel like I'm distracting you from your, the important work. I'm like, the most important thing we're doing right now is is making you look good for Peso Pluma. The rest of this is just whatever. <laughs> As she was getting ready, she finally dishes out a big confession. Even though she's going to the show tonight, she's not the resident Peso Pluma fan in the house. I thought his voice was very peculiar. Like, the raspiness of it. I, I, was, like, I was like, okay, I like this. It's something different. And then? And then I just started listening to it a lot. <laughs> Why? My dad plays it all the time. Like, if y'all weren't here, my dad would be playing music right now. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. The, he come, like he put this new, like, a big stereo in his car, and he just, like, I can hear him when he comes through the neighborhood. I'm like, oh, my dad. <laughs> How do you feel when, when you hear that? Are I love like, it. I love you my, love it? Yeah, I love seeing my dad happy. Um, music definitely makes him happy, or in, or in connecting with his brother in, like, a simple way, just like music. Because my, my uncle is a super fan over there. Uh, he was the one that wanted to go to the concert in the first place. And told my dad about it. And he was like, we should go. Because my dad is always like, I'm too old for this. I'm like, you don't look too old for this. It's confirmed Diana's uncle Luis is the super fan. And Pablo, Diana's dad comes in at number two. And he told me he's excited to go to the show with his brother, but that he does feel a little old going to the show with a bunch of 20-somethings. So we're sitting on the porch. The guys had paint on their clothes, having just finished a construction job. We crack a beer, and we talk. They were catching up on some Mexican music gossip, like the beef between Fuerza Regida and Peso Pluma over who has more views. Tio Luis was definitely the one in the know. So 
funny. They're so funny together. For Diana, it seems like those little moments, like the one you witnessed, Felix, where her dad is having fun with his brother and excited to go to the show, are what really make Beso Pluma's music matter to her. Diana is super sensitive to the hardships that her dad has experienced as an immigrant in Nashville. Maybe that's why the music is so important to her. So did your dad move here before you moved here? Oh, yeah. He's been living here a little bit before since I was, since I was, I think he moved here the first time in like 96 and uh, started working, sent money to Mexico. Does he ever talk about it was like when he originally came here? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're sad stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like what? Like the types of jobs he had to do Mm -hmm. and like everything that he went through. He lived in Washington for a little bit, too. What what kinds of things would he talk about going through? What kinds of jobs? Oh, uh, like abusive jobs. Like there was this one place, I think it was here or in Washington, where he fell. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. It's okay. He fell and he broke his arm. I don't think they gave him any money for it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like outside in the parking lot of his job. He fell. He has like big, big scar right here. Yeah. Why, why is that, thinking about that, making you so emotional right now? Because he's worked so hard. And you've always seen him working hard your whole yeah. life. Yeah, that's, maybe that's why I work all the time, too. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. too much. Yeah. But it's okay. One day he won't have to. Do your makeup. I'm sorry. I'm distracting you. <laughs> oh, it's I'm okay. Like it's, gonna... it's good. You hadn't done your eyeshadow. Way to go, Anna. Way to make people like me cry, man. <laughs> Making everyone cry, apparently. It really seems like Diana recognizes and understands the sacrifices that her dad had to make. She said that when she had the chance to move to Nashville, she was just so happy to get to see him every day. She told me her dad has his own tile company now, and things do feel more stable. Last year, his brother Luis Enrique moved to Nashville, and he was able to give him a job. When me and my sister talk about him moving to another state, it's like impossible. My dad loves being here. He's always been here. He's lived in other states, but mostly here. I don't know what it is. Maybe, I don't know if it's like the construction job is good here or something about Tennessee. A lot of his friends live here too from our hometown. So that's also like a big influence of like not wanting to move anywhere else. As we kept talking, Diana was nice enough to let me hang around and have the amazing honor of helping her put her outfit together for the show. I was thinking of wearing these boots. And I have this Mexican hair. Okay, this is awesome. You're like, I was, when you said a hat, I was thinking like cowboy hat. Oh no. Like repping Mexico tonight. No. You got the eagle, the flag. Everybody has a different reason for being attracted to the music, but it all comes down to identity. The fans are proud of their identity, and this is one way that expresses that identity. Plus, you get the fashion, right? The boots, the hat, the jeans, all that stuff, right? Well, you know, Felix, I have dabbled. (laughs) If you'll remember, I purchased my very own cowboy boots in Nashville. I got them the day after the show. I was feeling very inspired. Yes, you did. (laughs) Before we ended the interview... Diana mentioned one last thing about the Peso Pluma concert. I have a cousin that's going, and she's like, she just turned 15. And she is Mexican-American, but also Salvadorian. 
So I feel like her growing up and listening to this music and seeing everybody uh, accept it is definitely going to make a difference to, like, she's the same age that I was when I was into all these English bands. And she is into regional mexicano, so it's, it's crazy for me to see que, like, she listens to it. And, like, her style, too. Like, it, the music does not just impact about, like, what she listens to on the lady, but also, like, how she dresses or, like, how she talks or, like, her identity of being Mexican. Like, yeah, I love it. Because I don't think she's ever been to Mexico. And she's very proud of being, you know, Mexican. I feel as though this music represents being Mexican-American, wanting to love your Mexican self and struggling to show that. Whether it's being played by Peso Pluma, whether it's being played by the band in Nashville, all over. That's one of the things that we discovered in doing this series is that the music has this profound effect on the fans. And I think that we lose that when we're talking about the artists and the popularity of the artists. It's really always, always about the music. It's really always about the fans. There's just so many connective points for everyone. Everyone finds something to love within this music. And I think it's because, I don't know, we've never been so visible in this country like we are right now. And you know, Anna, I bet you there were a ton of people going to the concert that night who felt the same way. Oh man, Felix, the vibes that night were insane. People were just energized. There was a baby behind me at the show. Couldn't have been over a year, full white earmuffs on her little forehead, bumping along to corrido rhythms between mom and dad. What would it feel like to be raised in a world where corridos are celebrated in full view, at full volume, with a person like Peso Pluma championing your culture, imploring the world to pay attention? It's exhilarating to think of the impact. It was like they knew they were witnessing something historic. And like we heard at the very start of this episode, they were. La revolución mexicana en la música, viejo, tiene nombre y se llama Peso Pluma. The Latino crowd was buzzing with energy. Pangs of Spanish and country-tinged English floated in the humid air. Everyone just seemed excited, maybe almost even grateful to be there. I had to look around and wonder how many of them had been in a crowd of this many Latinos in their life. They're focused on one man, but this moment wasn't made by him. It was made by people like Diane, who built Plaza Mariachi, spending a lifetime trying to create spaces like this. The effort of so many intentional hands, all building to this moment. A new era of America was born out of brass and 12 strings. On this night and this night alone stands the Ascend Amphitheater. In shining contrast, an act of resistance so brilliant, so undeniable that lightning struck and thunder roared. In Nashville and in other places like it across the country, they and the people who just got here, like Diana and her dad, 
and their tireless efforts every day to be seen, to work a little harder or sing a little louder in this country, they made it possible for Peso Pluma to shine that night. Crossing the border and growing our community in masses made it possible for a regional Mexican artist to sell out an auditorium in the heart of the southern United States. Steps from Broadway and the land of honky-tonk. But what about the people leading this revolution, paving a way for millions of Mexican-American immigrant kids to love who they are? Okay, sure, there's Peso Pluma and so many other artists from Mexico. What about the artists born here who understand the in-betweenness being ni de aquí o ni de allá and employ their grandparents' music to boldly proclaim who they are in the most visible way, no matter the cost or consequences? One thing we know for sure is that people are listening to and making this music in communities all around the U.S. In the next episode of this series about regional Mexican music, we'll travel to, of all places, a small agricultural city in Washington state. That's Mount Rainier, and then there's another one that's over there, and that's Mount St. Helens, I think. I don't even know my mountain. What about the living, breathing banda music tradition in Mexico? It doesn't live in a box or a vacuum. It doesn't stand still or silent when people cross the border with it. It continues to move and grow and evolve. So how do the protectors of this tradition feel about this new wave? In the third part of the series, we'll cross the border to find out. La música tradicional es tan fuerte en ganarse los corazones de la gente. Cuando se dice tradicional, que está bien arraigado. listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. Our audio producers for this episode are Janice Yamoka and Joaquin Kotler, with production support from Soraya Mohammed, Natalia Fidelholtz, and Lauren Magaki. Our field producer was Shelby Hawkins, and the editor for this series is Jacob Gantz. The woman who keeps us on track is Grace Chum. Hey, hey, Grace. Our jefe-in-chief, Keith Jenkins, is VP of Music and Visuals. I'm Felix Contreras. And I'm Ana Maria Sayer. Thank you for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Lagunitas Brewing Company, challenging the status quo and crafting stories along the way. Featuring a wide range of innovative craft brews and non-alcoholic options, it's good to have friends. Learn more at lagunitas.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. 
and NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.